How was um, how was your dinner last night? They didn't have crab mac and cheese. They stopped ser serving that. That like bummed me out. Oh. I was like craving that in particular. I still like crab, but. Hello friends, and welcome to episode 11 of So Poetry. Um, I'm currently sitting outside with my dear, dear friend, Alan Ginsberg, who is a uh, double threat on the page and spoken word poet. Um, you will hear cars and people walking by because like I said, I'm sitting outside. Uh, this is my first quote unquote field recording. Um, so enjoy the ambiance. Um, but yeah, so Alan. Um, Bumped into him last night at no. dinner, randomly, which was cool. Um, let's see, I we knew we met working at Barnes and Noble Cafe, right? Yep, that we did. Regrettably. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a test for a lot of people, like working in this area, just like the gauntlet that is the Barnes and Noble of University of Baltimore. Yeah. I, I feel like for artists the the whole kind of cafe retail life is like that's just a, that's like most of the people that I know that are artists in the city have done that yeah at least at some point um, in the city in like most cities really like yeah across the country all my friends they're either like servers baristas bartenders and so, then they do the poetry thing. Yeah. That's a... It's... So I'm... I, I feel like... It should be federally mandated that everybody, regardless of, like, what you do, where what life you come from, should work a retail job for at least six months. Because there's so many people that... I mean, I'm sure that you probably encountered this, too. Like, working at a, at a server job, you have people that come in and they're... Just totally unaware and yeah. so just absorbed in their self that they don't. Like they don't they, really understand what it takes to do one of these jobs. Yeah, and the fact that you're providing them a service. It's like if you if you weren't doing your job, they wouldn't get coffee in the morning, which is what they need to function. Um, yeah, but I'm I've been treated really shittily and subhuman by a number of people, and it's just like yeah. And then you have people that have that have lived the life, and then when they get out of it, they turn around and treat other people like shit. Yeah, I mean, like it wears you down. So you gotta you gotta be able to take yourself away from it. And if you can't do it, then yeah, you gotta find some job where you don't deal with people. Uh, anyway, on a happier note, um, Alan, you feel like you want to talk a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh... My name is Alan Ginsberg. I have no relation to the famous ones, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's great. Uh, oh, I didn't even think about that Ginsburg. Yeah, that's the only one I think about because the other one is a sex offender and a pedophile. Uh, but people don't really talk about that because really we idolize dead writers uh, of like prolific generations. Or dead uh, any artist. Yeah, in, in general. Or living. Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen. All them, Ocosby, Bill Murray, 
all of them. Hmm. Bill Murray uh, lost a domestic violence suit against his wife and kids. Hmm. Like, went to court and lost that because I did not there's know overwhelming that. evidence. Wow. But Bill Murray will show up to your party and do your dishes, and no one will believe you. Yeah. Bill Murray will show up to court and beat his wife, and no one will believe him. Yeah. Ooh, that's a poem. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, gross. I don't like that. Ooh. Uh, I am an agender person, meaning that I am... I identify as neither male, female, or anything in between. Um, pronouns are they, them. I have been published by Blackheart Magazine, Words Dance, Beltway Quarterly, Drunk in a Midnight Choir, Pressure Gauge, Glass Mountain, uh, Transcendence, Persephone's Daughters, uh, and Great Weather for Media. Wow, and I saw on Facebook today that something just, like a a publication yeah, just came out that you that was uh, Pressure Gage's first journal. They nice. published two pieces of mine, uh, and they actually are retaining the other pieces I sent to them for later issues. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big thing for me. Um, generally, like with the last submissions, they'll send out. They'll take one, maybe two, mm-hmm. uh, but they're taking all of them. Wow. How many yeah. did you send them? I uh, sent four. Nice. Because uh, that was the max they asked for. Yeah. About quantity. Yeah. <laughs> if you throw enough things in the air, something's got to stick. Yeah. Um, so I would like to say sorry for misgendering you. Um, Thank you. I, I knew that you, you preferred they, them, but I didn't. Thank but, you for apologizing. Yeah. Now we can talk about poetry more. Yeah. Um, so... Poetry? Poetry. <laughs> um, so this is a question that I want to ask everybody that I, at least all the poetry people that I have, like poetry writers that I have on my podcast. Um, why poetry? Um, I don't have a straightforward answer to that question. Okay. Uh, the best things I can say are poetry because nothing else uh, poetry because, as a means of survival um, I am skilled at many things that is like a tooting my own horn I know that I can make a damn good cup of coffee mm-hmm. I, can, I can bake I can do prep work I can swing dance uh, I like can run away from all of my problems uh, I could do basic math still but uh, without poetry I would be unable to function as someone who has problems and can also deal with them okay so poetry is your way through it's like you're not like maybe not a coping thing but it's like it's, it's definitely it's, coping okay like it's the way I get through grief it's the way I get through trauma it's so the it's, way I parsed through my like tumultuous tumultuous ugh, tumultuous, tumultuous I think yes yeah. that one yeah uh, journey with sexuality and gender uh, it's helped me deal with like family baggage the whole slew of it so, poetry. 
Yeah. So it's poetry for you is a is the primary way that you process yeah. stuff. I'm already on the boat. Poetry is the wind. Okay. Hmm. So it's a poetry is a lot more, I guess, like fundamental as an aspect of you. It seems it's like without, like poetry is just like it's yeah. yeah. Without that, I'm not me. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I like. Uh, who was the last one on? I think Sarah Lynn was the last my last guest and. Um, it, it did not seem like poetry was that, um, not that it wasn't important to her, but it wasn't like that fundamental as a, as a core aspect of her, which is interesting that you have, I I guess across like the art spectrum, you have people that, um, relate to it differently that for some people it is, it's like with, if they couldn't do that, they would go crazy or they would be dead. Um, and other people it's like, yeah, I can, I can not have this for a bit and it's I can function well enough yeah I mean like I can appreciate and I can like I have friends who are on that side of the the spectrum or whatever that (laughs) means Uh, but like no honestly what keeps me going is surrounding myself with like either places where I can write or hear other people's writing mm-hmm. uh, I mean like you can't get caught in a tunnel and just hear yourself yell forever right but it's important to like the community you build of writers mm-hmm. as well like who you're propping up right that's important I've been thinking a lot lately about like if I do get to be an old person one day uh, who do I want to think about, like, or, like, who do I want to be, like, propped up on the shoulders of people and be like, I remember. Yeah. I worked with that person. Mm-hmm. They worked with me. They chose to work with me. Yeah. We, like, helped each other out. Like, being in artistic communities, uh, it's difficult to get your own name out, but it takes, I think, nil effort to help out others. Like, that helps you sustain yourself entirely even more. Yeah. Um. Huh. Yeah, I've never... I guess I haven't really thought about um, art... Or poetry in like thinking about communities but not in, in the, the sense of um, as a means to help others and to like to, to move people into positions that if you like if you're yeah. I guess kind of like the work of an ally it's like you you're in a space and if you see other people trying or needing to get into that space you do what you can to, yeah. to kind of open doors or move yourself back so that they can yeah they can enter in. So would you consider poetry uh, a lifestyle for you? Um, As opposed to like an art or something that you do dabble in? I would say it's an integral part of me, but I wouldn't consider that I'm like... I don't under... Mm. Poetry as a lifestyle seems too vague. Okay. 
to me. Like, I do a lot of things revolving around poetry, but I'm not entirely, like... The phrase poetry lifestyle can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. Uh, and sort of, like, imposing, like, any kind of umbrella terminology on somebody, like... Mm-hmm. The way I'm saying it, the way you're saying it, even right, right now, could mean and do mean different things. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. It's more than a thing I just do, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say my lifestyle is defined by it. Gotcha. Okay. If anything, my lifestyle is defined by my love of dogs and <laughs> how much I would rather be sleeping. But beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. Huh. So do you, aside from, I guess, like um, the main, the primary way that you process stuff, do you employ poetry in any other ways? Um, well, since I do a lot of spoken word as well as page poetry, um, one of the part, like, main parts of that is writing for an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not writing something that you're, like, giving away, but it's an experience that has to resonate with a broader amount of people. Uh, like, I write a poem on the page that's about myself and experiences I've had, mm-hmm. and it's for me, and okay. let's say it gets published, and it does, and, like, that's fine, but still for me. Mm-hmm. I write a spoken word poem, and I go on a stage, and it might be about my experiences, mm-hmm. but it's something that, if it's not written or performed in the right way then no one's going to resonate with it. Like, it has to be something that speaks out as well. Okay. So, the... And I feel like you're in a unique position because I don't know a whole lot of other... Or at least, personally, in my group of... Like, literary group in Baltimore, I don't know a whole lot of people who do both on the page and spoken word poetry. Right. Um, And I imagine that there are differences between them um, and I probably only can pick out a couple of superficial ones because I've never really done spoken word poetry. Um, but aside from the on-the-page stuff being more for you and the way that the audience interact interacts with that, um, you know, po- more on like a personal kind of intimate one-on-one yeah. basis versus um, spoken word stuff that is more out and has to be able to connect with many many people um, in a given space what what are some other differences at least for you that you um, see or notice or utilize in switching back and forth between the two a lot of hosts and people who organize spoken word events will oftentimes revolve back around to this idea that's like church for people and if spoken oh, word wow. is like church, then page poetry is confession. Oh, wow. It's about five minutes where I almost Huh. 
a church, anybody can stand up and right. say their story, and they can be welcomed, unwelcome. But generally, it's met with some sort of like people who go to these events are trying to live through something with other people. They're trying to live through it. Right. Yeah. Whereas, or that the the like go there to be challenged or provoked in a particular way to some sort of yeah you're action. opening your ears your eyes your heart your mind right. all of it to the experiences of people you may or may not know mm-hmm. you're gonna hear things that you may or may not agree with uh and like generally a lot of spaces will like preface like no hate speech mm. but that will happen and it gets dealt with mm-hmm. uh, I just heard um, this past week was Cupsy which is uh, like all the college teams uh, from around the country spoken word teams coming together and doing like uh, poetry slam mm-hmm. uh, and then the top team like it goes from like a couple of preliminaries semifinals finals mm-hmm. uh, it's always like four teams to a like bout. Okay. At one of the semifinal bouts, there's a couple people who performed poems that were like ally pieces in regards to like if they're making bills about trans people not being able to use bathrooms, then there's a problem with trans people. And they were free to say this. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the audience apparently went to the lobby and just got really loud outside of it. Wow. (laughs) Because you're free to say and perform anything on any stage. Right. But people don't have to catch you when you fall. Right, yeah. And I feel like that's a... That's another part of church. Yeah. Like... Because you're dealing it with it, I guess, for me, spoken word, or it seems like spoken word is much more about the community. It's it's the performative aspect of it happens in the community instead of in kind of the, the one-on-one or yeah. the smaller group. Um, and it feels like there is, or it seems like there's a more immediate accountability, or there can be more immediate account- accountability when you're dealing with the community that it's like they're like you said it's like they're not gonna they have no obligation to catch you if you fall it's like they will yeah um they will make their voices heard if they if you're coming out and saying something that yeah people don't agree with whereas like this immediate reaction can happen in like spoken word communities Mm -hmm. with page poetry like if I don't agree with that I can just not read it right yeah like the what the fuck is his name (laughs) that poet published by the New Yorker who wrote the racist poem. Oh, yeah. Starts with a T or some shit. I don't know. That fucker. Like, people read that poem, Uh but like, we all read it because we all do like to fully grasp the situation. Mm -hmm. But like, in the event that it's just like a bad piece of writing, Mm -hmm. you just not read it. Right, yeah. And that, that is oftentimes I think a little bit more hurtful to the person trying to create because how do you get better? Right. 
when you're not given feedback. Yeah, you're just you're met with silence or just indifference or just like. Uh, yeah. Um. Which is why I dislike uh, a lot of workshops that people run will say like say something nice before you say anything else and sometimes you don't have anything nice to say yeah yeah but sometimes you gotta say something yeah and if you can't say anything nice but you can't say the thing like you can't directly address a problem Mm -hmm. how do you navigate that situation you can't be like well i like that you tried (laughs) um you wrote something that's good but in the inverse with, like, a lot of spoken word workshops that I've been a part of, uh, like, part of that is, like, you have your draft and you perform it out. Uh, and then there's a little bit more to grasp and talk about because mm-hmm. you can directly address the content and you can also directly attend- address uh, the way the person is performing the content. Right, yeah. Which is, a whole, I feel like, a whole other aspect of poetry that's not dealt with it you it's there because they're performances they're they're not things it's not like a reading where you go up and just read your stuff it's it's more a um closer i guess to like theater that you're creating this space and you're yeah you're entering it and entering into it in a very very particular way that the delivery of your piece is as important as the piece itself right yeah and it's it doesn't always stop after you leave the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done like a couple little tours here and there, and a lot of that, even though I'd be like, for like the poetry events I've done out of state, it's like I'm the featured performer and I have set list, yada yada. But like, my performance begins when I enter the venue mm-hmm. and when I leave the state. Because the entire time after I've done my work, there's a standard that people place upon you or like you have to embody this person that is approachable yet has work that you want to learn about or hear more of. Wow. And the performance continues. Yeah. You're not doing any work. Right, yeah, but yeah, wow. I guess that gets to the whole, or it possibly speaks a lot of the whole, like, personal branding and, like, how, how you, how you choose and what you do to, to cultivate how you're perceived by other people when you're out in a given yeah. space. Huh. It's tricky. Yeah, and I feel kind of, like, un- maybe a little unfair. It's like you. I mean, it's. Or maybe not a little unfair. Fair is relative. Yeah. Uh, it gets easier at times, it gets harder at times. Um, there'll be shows that are like abysmal shows. Mm-hmm. And like, like the organizing's not good, the turnout's not good, or the turnout's good, but they're all loud and not listening. Uh, and since like you're still getting your feet, you can't like address that right but then later like you keep doing something enough you got more of a headway to be like I want to do something in your city but I don't want to work with you Mm. Uh, 
and because there's more opportunities for performances versus readings, right? Uh, you have the availability to say that. Yeah. Like, when you like have done the work. Right. Yeah. Like, there's a stigmatization against a lot of like bigger named poets, mm-hmm. but like. It's not like they haven't done the work. Right, yeah. They've just gotten to the point where they don't have to do the work anymore. Right, yeah, and they don't, yeah, they can shift. They don't, they're not at the beck and call of the other people. They have some authority and some, yeah, some foundation to be like, yeah, I'm, I don't want to do this in this way anymore. Yeah, like, I have friends on Facebook right now I've met through, like, national events or, like, going through their cities or whatever, and every now and again they'll just put on Facebook, like, They'll make a graphic of, like, some press shot of them, uh, like, a slew of dates in, like, cities or states or whatever, and just be like, tell your college to book me, and then we'll book a tour. Colleges pay money. It's the way to go. Hmm. It, it's interesting that, well, I guess this makes sense that in all of the avenues of art... You have those kind of, um, I don't know, expected, not like internships, but like kind of sort of, it's like you're expected to go through these these couple, these, yeah, this particular stage. Or jump this through big, hoops. Yeah. And because these other people, the have first, done it, yeah. the first round of people have done it and then they not necessarily make, but other people follow the example and it kind yeah, of gets yeah. this weird sort of institutionalized well, that uh, brings it again to, like, what I've been thinking about, of, like, who do I want to, like, be old and remember working with? Right, yeah. Like, I've jumped through a lot of hoops. How many hoops can I save someone else? Right, yeah. How many hoops have other people saved me? Yeah. Like, it's really easy in, like... <laughs> In writing communities, there's less opportunity to save hoops for people. Uh, I think, like, page poetry, like, it's a lot more, it's a lot difficult, a lot more difficult to, like, break into that. Right. Like, you have to do a little, a little bit more of, like, a hardline work. Yeah, you have to play the uh, submission game and the adjunct Submission, game. adjunct, like, pretty much, like, a degree is a little bit more pertinent for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not like just a bachelor's at this point. Like, you gotta long haul student debt that shit. Yeah, because you're expected to. Because I feel like a lot of people coming through um, who want to be page poets have to get the MFA so they can teach, so they can get the experience to work at a university, so that they can. Or like those those jobs are usually the the one the only ones that are available for writers yeah. or page writers. Um, and then, you know, for certain other gigs, you have to have a, a full-length book of poetry out already yeah. to get, or they want you to have a full-length book of poetry out. Yeah, which residencies you, and mm-hmm. even residencies you got paid for. Yeah, uh, at least to get out there, which, yeah, yeah. Is, which is tough. But like sometimes I, getting out there is a ways away. Yeah, like I, I applied to one in, I think it's in Taos, that is fully funded. Um, like, you get food, you get a place to live. Um, the only thing is you have to get out there, and it's in, like, New Mexico. Yeah. So, either going to be 
flying or training or driving and any one of those or yeah. all of those are going to be you know some money to get yeah but it also it feels like so I'm very appreciative that you're thinking about um, I mean not for my own sake but just kind of in, in the general like the larger community that you're thinking about um, like who you can help cut down some hoops on and uh, like yeah like creates not shortcuts but create some of those like bypasses for people because this I think goes back to the whole what we were talking about the retail stuff yeah um, that you have people that go through that are put through the paces and they're shit on and then when they get done they're like well I was shit on so I can turn yeah. around and shit on these all these other people instead of or you're working and you go through like all these this slew of being put down and disparaged and then somebody gets hired and because of all the work you've done mm-hmm. they don't right and it's that impasse of like I want to be angry but I'm only angry at the people who put me through that right not at the person who doesn't have to deal with that right yeah yeah and you it's tough to to break those cycles to not because it's it really I mean we're talking about fairness it's like it's it's not objectively it's not fair that you um, that you were put through all this stuff and the people coming up behind you might not be yeah but but it's kind of just like I don't know it's like uh the back in my day shit. Yeah, right, yeah. It's not like those people won't be going through problems. They'll have their own problems. Right, yeah, it's just it, it manifests just like, differently. They won't have to deal with your problems. Right, yeah. And that's, like, it's personally not fair, but if you if you can maintain the sort of a little bit larger awareness and a little bit more of a mindfulness to see that it's, like, yeah. if you're not, you're not addressing, it's like, yeah, this sucks for you personally, but the entire system... If you can if you can affect that somehow, or at least make it easier yeah, for yeah. somebody, then it's like you can chip away a little bit yeah. at it. It's tough. Like a lot of that type of stuff, like that type of mindfulness, feels radical, but like small, like small radical. <laughs> Un petit radical. Yeah, because it's you know, like I feel like so many people don't maintain that level of awareness and don't because I so I, I worked at REI yeah um, and one of the things that made me very very frustrated and got me close to infuriated a couple of times um, so we have a clearance footwear section right we just have a bunch of shoe boxes of shoes on shelves it's largely self-serve um, and at the end of the night we would have to clean like neaten it up because people wouldn't put shoes back in either the place that they found them or put shoes back in the box the right way. They'd have like one shoe lying flat, the other shoe sticking straight up and the box won't close and they just shove it in with like the information facing the back so nobody knows. And it's just like, I don't, I don't, it's, I'm, it's, I've been wrestling with this for a bit, the level of, like, I don't know what's worse. People who just don't notice this stuff or people who notice it and don't do anything yeah. about it. Because I feel like if you if you have that level of awareness and you can see that it's like, oh, these boxes were in this, these shoes were in these boxes in a particular way. I found it like that. I can very easily put it back like this and make the box at least fucking close. Yeah. But they don't. Hey, I know what you mean. I work, uh, 
I work two jobs, and at my my bar job, I work at Momtown Ball, Ballroom in Pigtown, and I swear, a lot of these people have never seen a trash can in their life. Right, yeah. And it's astounding, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know. At the end of the day, like, if a friend of mine's there, they'll try to help me, and then I'll get mad because I'm like, you're not getting paid to do this. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm going to get paid to do this, I'm going to make this look like labor. Right, yeah. Because I want more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate capitalism. Yeah. Uh, that's the scourge of it all. Yeah, I don't understand how people can be... Complicit within a system. Well, just that they can look at capitalism as a... I don't know, as a system of whatever it is, and say like, oh yeah, if you just, if you just trust, um, if you just trust this, yeah, things will work out. It's, no, have you like, have you seen capitalism in the last however long it's been? Four hundred years. Like an economic system. Uh, it's because a lot of people. I mean. There's a few different reasons. It's like, people haven't had problems. Yeah. Uh, people haven't lived uh, on the worser end of the spectrum. Worser is not a real word, but poetry. Yeah. Make it a word. Yeah, do it. Uh, Reclaim that. Or if they have, it's just this. They're defeated in a battle they don't know they're fighting. Yeah. Uh, and it's clinging to any hope that swings by that seems like like a good idea. It's clinging to a system that you want to work so badly yeah. because the anything else is just unthinkable. The hell we know. Yeah. It's why people clung onto the idea of Gore, clung to the idea of Obama, clung to this idea of Bernie Sanders. Still gonna have debt. Yeah. Like, still gonna live in a world where the bus fares are gonna go up, but the roads are gonna deteriorate. So I'm gonna cling to a world where in DC they're gonna shut down the entire metro line for a couple months because they didn't expect it to last that long and just not tell anybody. Yeah. There's a. So my dad worked at. Or it, it still works at Energy, which is the kind of Louisiana equivalent of BGE. It's the big power. It's the yeah. like the power company down there. And um, I don't know if they still do this. Um, I don't know, Dad, if you're listening to this, you can correct me. Um, but the like the higher ups would only deal with problems after they became problems because you have a lot of substations and stuff and a lot of equipment that was put oh, in, yeah. in like the sixties and seventies. That, you can tell when something's gonna go wrong, but if it's not going wrong, then right, yeah, that you know that these these pieces of equipment are made to last a certain amount of time, and then like if you maintain them, you can get more life out of them. But if you just leave them alone, there's they have a lifespan, and people know this, and yet they won't do they won't put up the money to maintain the stuff until or until it fails, and then you have a you have to spend all this time to like fix issues that could have been addressed earlier. Yeah. Um, and I feel like... But at the same time, it goes back to the root of it all. 
capitalism. Right. Yeah. And that, like, that to why me, do the work if you're not going to get paid to do the work. Right. And that that to me is is kind of endemic of you know it's like we're not going to deal with stuff until they become until it becomes a problem and then when we do actually deal with it we're not going to actually address the problem we're just going to address the symptom of it yeah instead of dealing with stuff so that, like during the um the baltimore uprising last year yeah which is astounding that it's been a year since that happened just about um give or take a couple days yeah but like i so i'm um I'm, I'm sure that I've mentioned this in the podcast a, a bunch, that at the wood shop that I work at, we have NPR on all day. Um, so I feel like I've never been as informed as I am now about just stuff happening in Baltimore and just kind of in the United States and the world. Um, and it was really interesting in the aftermath of the uprising to see um, people on, or to hear people on NPR in interviews and stuff talking about... Um, their own, you get like, like pet passion, that the stuff in, like the uprising was like wage inequality, or it was broken families, or it was, you know, violence and all these things, and it's like, yes, it's all of this, but it's also, like all the, one, all these things are connected, and two, it's a bigger issue than all of this shit, and yet, people are taking at it piecewise which part of me can understand that's like it's I easier mean, to it's their idea that like peace was a thing that existed right and it might have for them at the expense of others it's systematic right and it's I, ima- I know that it's I imagine that it's easier to deal with things piecewise or it's easier to, to change one thing like one part of this thing instead of the entire system, but like that one change isn't really going to amount to whole much unless you deal with the yeah, entire. Yeah, people at Gilmore Homes still didn't have heat this winter. Right. Uh, like people only like walk down to Penn North because they were marching. They're not going there to like support local businesses. Right. Yeah. Like I think it's frankly disgusting that the amount of marches that have walked past that area versus the amount of people who would never go there or in any other instance right uh like the people who would participate in organizing these things would go back to the copycat and then torment or belittle the people who are being displaced from the buildings around the copycat because like rent's going up but it's not going up for the people who can who are going to either like do one year of a lease and then leave the state yeah like love Baltimore until you can do something better but Baltimore is great yeah I have a lot of problems with the way people are addressing talking about the uprising without actually looking past April, looking past like 2015, Mm -hmm. like knowing Freddie Gray's name but not knowing anyone else's name. Yeah. Like the amount, like it's not like police brutality is a new thing. Right, yeah, it's not like uh, systematic oppression and racism yeah, are that's new not, things right. no, the country is built on those things yeah. like 
There's the joke about, I know. I just pointed out a dog. It's a great dog. Uh, there's a joke that people are making with Trump's campaign, uh, which is make America great again. But when was America great? Right. I mean, it was great for upper class white males in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they were working class people. Yeah, but once we were our own country. Yeah, I just made some faces. I know that doesn't translate through a podcast. Uh, it's hopefully you could feel essentially confusion, disgust, it. and uh, just being done with this shit. Yeah, um, and it's it's terrifying for me. Like this election, I think more so than any of the ones that I've been around for, or at least have been cognizant, like at an age that I was aware of what was going on, yeah. is really terrifying. Because yeah. you have Trump, who is essentially like this this Franken or this monster Frankenstein esque creation um, of the Republican Party that none of the Republicans want to deal with as like a, okay we we essentially paved the way for this guy and the fact that he's tapping into all of this vitriol and all this hate and all this like, gross nationalism that a lot of people in America feel, which is. Also terrifying that it's like we're not as far away as we think that we are from. Um, I mean, the civil rights movement was in the '60s. Yeah, there are people who are alive then. Right. That are alive now. Yeah. Like things haven't changed. Right. And then you have kind of a, a outgrowth or an outcropping of it with the whole like the LGBT. Like rights, and then all the the states that are. I mean, let's just clarify something right now. It's L, big G, capital G, uh-huh. little baby B, and then if they feel like it, they'll attach the T. Right. But Never if the- not, then it's gonna go back into a box stowed under the bed, mm-hmm. and we're gonna pretend Stonewall was always a pride parade. Right. Like. Gonna clarify that right out, right out the gate. Yeah. But like, it, no, it's it's it is terrifying that Trump exists and that the second best option is Cruz, who's equally terrible but knows the game. Yeah. Like knows how to play the game. And this could all be a ploy. It could all be a reaction of like, oh, if we put someone terrifyingly batshit up there, then we could pass off the person who is equally terrified but knows exactly what to do mm-hmm. as passable. Yeah. And then uh, on the inverse of it, we have someone who also knows the game and I don't know, what is it, like every 15 days she'll change her stance on a policy because now it's becoming popular. Yeah. Uh, and all our primary donors are like media outlets and then outside of that, we have Bernie Sanders, who has good stances and has policies that I agree with. Still will support drones. Uh, will I know so many people who have said that they have only cared about politics once they figured out that Bernie Sanders was a politician. 
but they don't know any of their local representatives. They don't know nor care, much less, about anyone else to vote for. Right. Yeah, I actually got a um, sample ballot in the mail um, earlier in the week and was look, like thumbing through it. And for the, um, which is glad, I'm glad that I did this because there are some, um, like the delegates that you can you can choose and the um, the some of the council members and the judges. It's like I don't know any of these people. Yeah. I know I know the senators. I know um, mayor, mayoral candidates. Yeah. Um, but like by name. Right. Policies. I know like, I know some of their policies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I know some stances. I know some policies as well. But like. I need to, I need to do research. I, I would hope that other people are also doing research. Yeah. And like, I know a lot of people cling to names they know, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But, you know, at the end of it all, you can cling to a name till the cows come home, and then once the cows come home, you can find out that you're living with somebody who eats raw meat. Yeah. And drinks blood under a full moon and bays and beckons into the night sky. And then you have the whole, I guess, cynicism of voting of, do you vote for somebody that you believe in or do you vote for somebody who you think would have a shot of actually winning? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But... I'm going to segue and tie things back into your podcast because yeah. I can do that right now. Go for it. I was about to say we should... I'm bringing it back to poetry, talking about uh, all these politicians and the state of the world, how people's hate and personal prejudices are coming out in very apparent ways. Uh, we can bring it back to that New Yorker poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, something tea terrible racist uh the crux of the piece if you're unaware is uh longing for it talks about chinese provinces in relation to food and how like there's too many chinese provinces i don't want to like have to know what all these foods are like uh and yeah, i was happy when it's a, just chinese food uh, a writer, a uh, person who is f- a friend of a friend, a shared Facebook status, posted, like, it's important to understand that this is something to be dismissed, and it is hate speech, but there are certain lines that make it more apparent. Uh, there's a line that mentions, like, I long for the days of chow mein. And chow mein's not actual Chinese food. It's bastardized, Americanized Chinese food. Like, food restructured for U.S. palates. Like Tex-Mex. Yeah, like Tex-Mex. But those lines in particular echo of the this idea that like longing for a time when there wasn't so much of those people right. around. Yeah. When it was easier to dismiss and only see like-minded faces and hear like-minded things. Mm-hmm. And it shows an apparent nature that a lot of people have. It's not as talked about, but like racism against Asian American communities as well. Uh, 
Like, we were busting down concentration camps when internment camps were still up. Uh, yep. And that hasn't ended either. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of hate. Like, we're living in a terrible thing. And to bring it back into poetry, this is why it's important to <laughs> react to work and to approach work that you dislike with not only constructive criticism, but like outright backlash. Yeah. Like, you don't always have to say a good thing because somebody is saying bad, terrible things. Right. And good work can come out of this. There's a lot of people writing responses to this piece. Yeah, I, I uh, saw... Fernie Choi's got a great one. Uh, Fatima Ashgar has uh, got a great piece as well, which might not be a direct response, but is written in the, the wake of it and is also wonderful. Um... And a lot of, like, I'm sure it's not the end of it. I'm sure I'm going to hear more. Uh, and then, so I, that that came up on on NPR. Um, there wasn't a direct, they didn't get, like, the, the, the poet or the author of the poem like on, but they had a quote from him that. saying that it was, yeah. like, satire and he was just trying to, you know, have some fun with stuff. But Well, I mean, but, like, you can say satire as much as you want. Right, yeah. But, uh, in the same way that, uh, what was it, two years ago now, Charlie Hebdo, mm-hmm. where that happened, Yeah. Uh, it's a satirical newspaper, yeah, but they're still publishing works that are influencing and justifying a lot of people's uh, beliefs. Right, yeah. Like, they're still making people feel right in their hate. Yeah, and, and it's, like, if you're going to be satirical, you have to have a level of, I, I guess I, this kind of goes back to the awareness and mindfulness. It's like, you really have to make sure that you are looking at the biggest possible view of, of things to make sure that your your perspective and your stance or whatever it is that you're doing is correct and it hits the way that you want it to hit. Yeah, or, like, if you're going to go satirical and you don't hit the way you want to and you get backlash you have to be humble enough to come out right and say this was my intent but I realized this was not the way it was perceived uh, my apologies right yeah you have to you accept yeah. criticism gracefully yeah which is not not something that it's what it, keeps people who want to write and people who write in separate swaths. Yeah. Because it, it takes... Um, I think I only got to the point maybe halfway through grad school where I could sit there and take what somebody was saying about my piece as just about the piece and not internalize it and not personalize it and not... No. And sometimes you'll get those personal criticisms and... At the end of the day, you can be like, okay, this person says this about me, Mm -hmm. and this is how they believe. Mm -hmm. They are one person. Right. Yeah. It's one one person, one perspective. No. Um, It doesn't, like, their criticism can be completely valid, and it's something that you can keep and learn from as well. But at the end, like, 
I love negative criticism. I love it. Tell me, tell me the thing I'm doing is like not not good. Yeah. Tell me like how I am failing my work or failing my community and I would love to get better. Yeah, right, yeah. Break down that shit. And I I think that that's that's kind of the issue um that when you when you broach things with like say something nice first or don't say, you know, before you say yeah, something yeah. negative. It's like you can say negative criticism or you can you can say you can broach and bring up things that are like bad about a work or something like has fallen short or a failing but it doesn't have to be the super fucking harsh you know like this is terrible I mean if it is terrible you could probably say it, but there's it's you can address it and you can frame it as like not just yeah you could say this is bad work this is a direction to go. Yeah, it's like provide provide some some like some out or some way of no. being like, you know, I you were doing this. I don't think that this really worked all that well. You could try this. You could maybe do this no. to try to get to like the bigger issues of a piece instead of just being like, oh, this is bad. Which is probably the intent of say something nice first. Right. Structuring the sentence rather than like this is bad. This is where you could go to being like, here's some directions you should think about because right now it's bad. Yeah. Which is a nicer way of saying something yeah. because people don't listen after they hear right, negativity yeah. often. Yeah, they shut down. Yeah. Um, uh, so, since we're talking about, since we're kind of more back into talking about poetry, um, what, have there been any major shifts in your writing, like development, that you've had that you can pinpoint as like you were writing like this and then something happened and now you write like this um or has it been kind of a just a gradual progression i feel like it's been gradual i tend to like i started writing by saying things very bluntly like addressing what i'm trying to address right out right out the gate mm-hmm uh, and as I write and perform more, I start writing like more of a puzzle that gets filled in as the piece goes on. Okay. At the end of it is like its core thing, but uh, it's layered with other bits mm -hmm. of messages or intent or right. like chapters. Um, it can be blunt at the beginning about one thing and then the true nature of the piece reveals itself at the end mm -hmm. which I try to make not dismissive of the beginning uh, I try to like keep it all in one formulized thing uh, yeah I used to I, I mean all of my work is at some level or another autobiographical mm -hmm. I have an intense difficulty writing about other people's lives because I have no idea what other people's lives are I've written I feel you on that the only poems I've written about people who are not me uh, like using my poetic voice out of their mouth uh -huh. uh are um, 
I have a poem that is from Hector of Troy's wife's mouth. Ooh. Uh, because I was thinking about, like, in these great Grecian Roman epics, all these, like, huge classics, mm-hmm. uh, the time that is given to female characters that are not the main character. Mm-hmm. Like, the crux of the piece is essentially like, I'm not Helen, mm-hmm. but I'm, that's fine. Like, I mean, yeah. like, I have my own, like, worth and stake in the world. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is what I'm bringing into it. I'd like to do more of those pieces. Uh, like, I'm also in the, in the trenches of compiling work, uh, taking the Medusa myth and writing poems about that or, like, either, like, rewrites or direct addressing of other people's writings uh, because they... I don't know. There's no reason for that myth to go that way. Like, yeah, Medusa is... Pretty lady, apparently. Uh, everybody lusts after. Um, she is a priestess of Athena, and Poseidon rapes her. And then Athena is like, "That was bad of you, Medusa," and turns her into a gorgon mm-hmm. because apparently we hate victims. Uh, because the only good thing about a pretty object because she's not referred to as a person mm-hmm. or at least not addressed as a person. The only good thing about a pretty object is the fact that it's not tarnished yet. Right. Uh, and that is a direct reflection of how the world sees things now, mm-hmm. even still. Uh, and trying to flip that as Medusa being granted a thing or being not dismissing the situation as happening, Mm -hmm. but taking the situation as it's happened and giving a voice to the pain and also the after effect of, I don't know, how many of the men that got turned into statues by Medusa were also rapists? Right, yeah. How many of the men would go on to do that? Right. Uh, There's there's something I want to say it came up on Tumblr maybe like a year ago, um, that framed the myth as, I think, along the lines of, like, Athena giving Medusa a means to protect herself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Medusa, um, like, translates roughly in some language or another as, like, guardian or protector. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after um, Perseus gives Medusa's severed head back to Athena, she uses it on her shield. Mm -hmm. Um in battle and whatnot. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what you do when you make someone's life a literal fucking hell is that you use their severed head as a tool. Uh, That, and then outside of those two things, the only other poem I've written in somebody else's voice is I have a Guy Fieri persona poem. (laughs) Uh... I 
did about five hours of research on Guy Fieri. <sighs> Classically trained French chef. Really? Uh, Guy Fieri uh, built a pretzel stand and worked boardwalks in California to raise money to fly to France to learn how to cook. When he came back, he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a degree in hotel management. Did. Those two skill sets took them, won a Food Network Stars competition, and ever since has been the Guy Fieri we know. Wow. And sometimes low. Um, so taking that information and wrote a piece uh, titled Flavor Town and this idea that like being skilled and being aware of like the work you've done to get somewhere mm-hmm. and uh, in the last lines I don't have it memorized uh revolve around the idea of like knowing that you're a joke for a lot of people and like kind of using that Mm -hmm. like not being dismissive of the situation you've placed yourself in because you know this is like not what you've always wanted right like I don't think eight year old guy fear is like you know what I want like half a soul patch and I always want shades on the back of my head also, maybe I'll cook something once, and I'll eat a lot of meat. Yeah. But it almost, it like, knowing that, it seems like he's kind of, like, the full position where it's, like, he's, he knows, like, he knows exactly what he's Guy doing. Guy Fieri as trickster god. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, Festus from Twelfth Night. Yeah. I, I would, I'd believe it. Yeah. I could see an anime done... As, I mean, as Guy Fieri has an like legitimate trickster like Twelfth Night, but just Food Network stars. Yeah, I, I would I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, same. You could get the um, the people who do the great the great British Bake Off as like Malvolio. They're too nice. Yeah, but you you cast them as Malvolio just for the hell of it. Yeah, I love that show. I love that show so much. But Shelby, Shelby and I marathoned it like two months ago. It's great. Um, poetry? Yeah, so, um, you mentioned something about, or you mentioned that, um, when you do spoken word stuff, it's, like, you, the performance of it is, is part of the process of figuring out. Yes. Um, do you have different processes when you write a poem for the page and something that you're going to perform? Like, do they go through different, um, sequences for you, or, like, do they occupy different spaces? Um, most of the p- pieces I write for performance, like, with the intent of performing it, mm-hmm. uh, don't touch a page until I have an idea of how I want the words to sound. Really? So they'll all stay in huh. my head, which means I lose a lot of lines, <laughs> like, which is disappointing, but, you know, they'll show up eventually. Right, yeah. Uh, and so then once like, I have, like, an idea of the structure of how I want the piece to become, then mm-hmm. I'll start writing it. Okay. Uh, and so I'll, like, write a draft and maybe a second draft. But 
it's not done until I perform it once, and then I have the first draft of a performance. Okay. Which is and why then, open mics are so important. Uh, uh, okay. Like, open mics are to spoken word poetry as exposure is to, like, medium art. You do it for the exposure. Yeah. And you expose this piece into the world. Like, mm-hmm. it's not done until it's in someone else's ears. Right. And there are a lot of people who, like, I, I've met and known that, like, don't like open mics because, like, it's not their show or something. Or they try to, like, take the five minutes they get and make it 15 and then right. spotlight, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Uh, and people in the crowd notice this, and they will say, like, they will joke about it, and it'll happen. <laughs> but... Woof. <laughs> uh, so after the first performance, then I'll go back and I'll sit down, I'll probably rewrite it, I'll have new lines. Uh, and almost all of the poems I've written are always in constant edits mm-hmm. uh, even the ones that have been published places like I'm still editing do you I for, don't stop for your pieces yeah do you ever feel like there's an actual end yeah uh, I feel like the there's a place where the idea of a poem will end uh, and I know like this is how this poem will be there's 70% of the lines that will never change and I might tweak some of the others. Okay. Yeah. But for you, like the writing or at least the, the, the performative stuff, it's always possibly, there's the potential for it to be in like flux. It's always... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always tweaking, always kind of keeping um, with it. Last Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, semi-finals for Baltimore's Poetry Slam season, uh, I did a poem that I've done many places, and I changed the lines that night. New line in there. Never existed. I mean, the words have existed. Right, yeah, but just not in the context of that poem. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and I did that ten minutes before I went on stage. And it did a lot. It, like, I think it did good for the piece. And I think it's good to have, never take your, like, quote-unquote star players, like, out of transition. Mm -hmm. Like, always be thinking about, like, how can this become stronger? Mm -hmm. What supplements can I give my boys? (laughs) I'm trying trying to get some buff boys in my team. Yeah. Where are my muscle dudes at? Uh, but yeah, just like the idea will stop at a point, and generally, like the beginning and the end will stay the same, and the middle will be a bunch of question marks forever. I feel like for me personally, that would be maddening. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> like, because it's it's really like for me, I have to know. I have to believe that poems, at some at least for my own poetry, that they have a they have an endpoint. Because if they kept if they kept going, I couldn't work on 
Like, I couldn't move on to the next thing knowing that I'm still tinkering with this yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, like, it's not that they don't end. It's like, I, I wrote a draft of a poem last night, and now the draft is existing. Mm-hmm. And until I look at it again, it is right. ended. Right, yeah. It's in the stasis. Mm-hmm. It's like, any point where I'm not actually looking at the piece or thinking about the piece... Like in a way that is an editing mindset, it's ended. Right. Um, I mean, I will because it's a first draft. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's maddening to always be thinking about like the pieces and the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I only have to do that like like once every month and a half <laughs> when I have to compile new culminations of work for manuscripts and the like. Yeah. But. Yeah. So I've been, I've been wanting to ask this question, and I feel like now is as good a time as any. Yeah. Is there a difference between slam poetry and spoken word poetry? Yes, entirely. Okay. I mean, there's no such thing as slam poetry. No. Uh, there are poems that are performed in a poetry slam. Oh. Okay. And sometimes... Like, there's pieces that people will only do in Poetry Slams. And... So what is a Poetry it's Slam? A, in the same way, like, all whiskey is bourbon, but not all bourbon is rye. Okay. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. All slam poetry is spoken word, but not all spoken word is slam poetry. Because it's not performed at poetry slams. Specifically at poetry slams. A poetry slam is a competition of poetry created by a Chicago construction worker named Mark Smith. uh, Wow. Who designed this thing to get people pretty much went to an open mic. Mm Mm-hmm found five people who were not there for the open mic and was like, hey, here's this board, score the people. Oh. Uh, as a means to get people like interested in the work being done on that stage. And then it's extrapolated from there to become a competition where uh, a group of poets will perform work scored by five judges who have no relation to any of the competing poets. Uh, from zero to ten. Mm-hmm. A zero would be going to the dog park and all of the dogs run away from you. And a ten would be dog magnet waking up in the dog park and all <laughs> of the dogs love you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, essentially, like, a, a zero is a poem you never want to have to hear again or know that has ever existed mm-hmm. a 10 is a poem you want to hear every day okay um and you use like one decimal point for tiebreakers uh Baltimore scene our poetry slams are two rounds three minute poems uh you have a 10 second grace period after your three minutes and then a half point deduction will happen every 10 seconds after that wow and if you exceed like I think it's, like, a minute after uh, your time penalty. So, like, if you get to four minute, ten point 
one mm-hmm. or higher, then you're disqualified. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so it's a really disciplined kind of regimented. It's not that hard. Four minutes is a lot. Yeah. Four is a lot, especially like in our scene. Got a lot of people perform quickly. Because <laughs> every every scene's kind of got the thing that like works best or like is focused on uh and a lot of baltimore poetry seems to be more like lyrically based and mm. uh the flow of it mm-hmm. the way like you know mm-hmm. uh which is not to say that like other poems don't do well right but you can do a shoddy poem that has good lyricism and it'll still do well. Okay. It, I mean, it's not going to get the top scores. Right, yeah. But because of the performance of it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, and by season, mm-hmm. I mean, like, the top three people at the end of the slam will get points. And then the points will accumulate and the top 12 from the season go to semifinals uh, and then the top 8 from semifinals go to finals gotcha. uh, and then the top 5 from finals become the team that represents Baltimore at the National Poetry Slam oh, which wow. is a competition that happens every year uh, various cities uh, cities put out their bid to like I want to host it mm-hmm. and then a committee goes through all the bids and they're like this one Oakland Oakland happened, yeah. Oakland happened twice because Boss, not Boston, I think it was like some city in Jersey was going to do it. Uh, but one of the head organizers said some racist shit and everybody bailed on the like committee to like organize the National Poetry Slam in whatever fucking Jersey city that was going to be. And because Oakland had done it the year before. They had already had like the infrastructure. They had the like, people. they had the people, they had the, the, buildings uh or like it would be easy enough to get the buildings back right and they just like moved it back which sucked so much for so many people because it's not like it's free right. to go anywhere yeah but i imagine a uh, lot of scenes, east coast people were probably upset yeah <laughs> but like a lot of scenes will like save money like that's why admission price happens it's like both to help the venue out and to save money to help the team get to where it's going right um and then but the number one spot the person who wins finals uh the grand slam Mm -hmm. is what it's called for every scene uh will represent that scene at the individual world poetry slam which happens every year as well um various cities um wow very excited uh, about it. Yeah. Um, and that is just like, it's a title, but the teams and the people who win like these bigger competitions, mm-hmm. uh, there's also a third one. It's called the Women of the World Poetry Slam. The language is still, it's in flux now because of people addressing how it is exclusionary towards uh, trans and gender non-conforming poets. 
So language is in flux, but essentially, right now, it's the people who can compete in that are um, women, uh, people who have lived experience as a woman, whichever, whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's essentially like if you're not a cisgender male, then you can compete in that huh. competition. Jet, uh, like I would not because I don't have. I don't have a gender. I've never had a lived experience as a gender. Mm-hmm. I've had, had gender imposed upon me, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not my space. And I know that. And I'm not going to abuse that right. Be as a way of getting into a competition. Right, yeah. People will. We should do an agender poetry symposium. I mean, there is a... Queer spoken word summit and slam that happens every year in DC called Capturing Fire. Mm-hmm. This oh. year will be the I think sixth year this happened. Uh, happens like end of May, early June. Mm-hmm. Uh, locations are in the air right now because we were using one place, but we're moving away from it because it's a government place and that our our thoughts don't align. Yeah. I'm not one of the main organizers, but we generally don't align ourselves with that. <laughs> uh, hashtag free Chelsea Manning. Um, but, uh, like, the people and the teams who win these, like, one of the big three competitions, there's a lot of things to go up the stake. Like, last year's Individual World Poetry Slam was in D.C., mm-hmm. and the winner got uh, shows at every single Bus Boys and Poets, so a week of shows in D.C. Wow. with a guaranteed, like, $100 uh, of getting paid because mm-hmm. they pay, like, flat rate. Uh, it's a bummer. Uh, some, like, writing residencies somewhere in Virginia uh, paid for... 1,000 ducats! Damn. And then just, like, having that title... Yeah. Opens like, up opens a lot up of so doors. much doors. Yeah. Uh, like, in spoken word communities as well as, like, other writing communities because, like, you can't get to that point without being a right. good writer. Yeah. Uh, and, like, even if you don't win, like, becoming a finalist on one of those stages, like, does the same thing. Yeah, I imagine it's, like, if you're a finalist for... Um, like a pushcart prize. Or you're like any, yeah, any of the big literary awards. It's like just getting Lambda. onto that list yeah. is like, a, oh, we should be looking at this person. Yeah, that's why like a lot of like manuscript submission stuff will post the finalists. Mm-hmm. Won't we'll say like all are winning, and sometimes they'll publish more than just the winner. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, do you have any publications coming, coming up? Out? Uh. Not currently. Uh, I mean, like, I've, I've got pieces here and there coming out. Um, and I'm waiting to hear back on some others. Uh, right now, I am deciding whether or not I want to do... want to uh, do self-publishing anymore. Mm. For a while, I've, like, self-published chapbooks and zines and stuff. And I might. I probably will. But... Right now, I'm trying to get get that ISBN code, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Uh, 
which you can buy like a thousand of those, but it costs money. Yeah. 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 Uh, I also like toying with the idea of like, I don't know, starting up a series here, like a reading performing series or starting up a press or something. I don't know. I've got time. I'm young-ish, but... The world is your whatever it is that you enjoy eating. Yeah, I don't know. I got, like... The world is your dog park. Yeah, it is. Hopefully. <laughs> in, my, in my mind's eye. Right now, I'm just, like, focusing on doing some, like, outside-of-life stuff. I'm submitting places. I've got, like, a couple manuscripts at a couple of different publishers waiting to hear back. Uh, waiting to hear back on... Uh, some festivals that I'm trying to perform at. Planning a uh, like big old tour for October. I'm gonna go down south, across over to Texas, up the middle, and back over. Uh, which is gonna be stressful. Like I've gone south. I haven't gone that much south. Like it's been very short trips. But you know, that's what they took earlier today. It's a nice truck. The bumper is being held on by a bungee cord. Same. <laughs> um, outside of that stuff, no. I, I don't know. Some journals here and there. Uh, I have uh, my next show in Baltimore is going to be on the 22nd. Um, locations TBD, but uh, it's a full moon poetry reading. Ooh. Uh, full moon's gonna be in Scorpio if you have any predilection to astrology. Um, I'm sure, like, when this goes up, they'll I can throw a link to this on that. Yeah, I'll make sure to touch base with you when, um, when it, when that's happening. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. Because uh, I don't. It, this will probably be up in the next couple of days. Alright. Yeah, I'll, huh. I'll shoot you some links. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, it's National Poetry Month, which means it's National Poetry Writing Month. So I'm writing a poem every single day for the entire month. Nice. All first drafts. Uh, in the same way that uh, National uh, Novel Writing Month is mm -hmm. like 50,000 words in a month. Yeah. Uh, no edits. Mm -hmm. This is just 30 poems, 30 days, yeah. no edits. Just the genesis of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really rad. Yeah. Trick of the tail. Um, but it's so far been going so well. Uh, I generally am not a form poet, but I try to experiment with form during this month. Uh, and I try my best. I try so hard to get so far, but in the end... Uh, it kind of matters. Yeah, it kind of matters a lot. Um, <laughs> but the cop-out is always, it's 11.30 p.m., and I haven't written a poem yet. And I'm like, I'll just write a haiku. But I don't want to do that because I'm not a haiku writer. And those, like, it's not like, it's not an art form that I want to just do because it's easy, because it shouldn't be easy. Like, a good haiku... Not easy. Like, you can stumble onto one, but... 
it's not an easy thing. It's also like, so many people have written haiku and just like, added a syllable or like taken away a syllable yeah, it's not fucking haiku oh that bothers me so much if the entire haiku is in like colloquialism and like part of the colloquialism is like the pronunciation of words like in shorter ways like mm-hmm. no saying no I mean yeah like that's a word that's got like three syllables maybe I yeah don't well, you don't really even need to okay I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my haiku soapbox for a second okay um they don't need to be strict syllable syllabic yes yes um they don't have to be strict very um so strict on the counting of it um because you know how just as English is kind of naturally an iambic pentameter um Japanese as a language kind of works out that the the syllable not even syllables like the on structure are yeah, yeah. five seven five typically it's like that's just a pattern that they that they have yeah um, so traditional haiku in Japanese follow that pattern because that's the way that the Japanese language kind of parses out whereas in English um, and even Kerouac threw this out there when he was writing about haiku it's like they don't really need to follow that like if you if you want to do them in five seven five syllables that's great. Um, but if you were to like record a Japanese haiku and how long it takes to it, for it to be spoken and an English haiku and how long it takes to, it to be spoken for them to be like if you do a strict 575 Japanese haiku in English it really is only like 10 to 12 syllables yeah um, but yeah like and I've seen so many so many quote-unquote haiku that are the right the syllables that like somebody will add something um, or they'll take a syllable away to make it work whereas yeah. like that you know it's like just doing that doesn't doesn't fix the fact that this is not no it's like you're doing a scenario maybe at best <laughs> but it's not you know and it oftentimes can hurt it I think like even trying so fucking... hard to go into the like the form that you hurt the piece yeah and even Basho, in one of his letters to some of his disciples or his followers, were like, "If it's a good poem, like if the haiku works, it's okay. If it's a like if it's a couple syllables over, a couple syllables under, under it's like it's not like the the counting and the the no, syllable structure the isn't the thing. It's like there's other things that are working in the haiku, and if you nail that stuff, and it's like yeah. Um, on the realm of haiku, one thing I'm trying to organize this summer. Uh, which directly relates to you, mm-hmm. uh, as it's part of what you write a lot, is there's an event at, like, a lot of the, any of the national competitions, like, NPS, IWIPS, WALPS, Cupsy, all of them, uh, called a Haiku Deathmatch. The Haiku Deathmatch is a bracket-style tournament uh, where every round except the final round is best of five haiku. Mm-hmm. It's like two people on stage, they say that thing, and then the three judges in the crowd will raise up like one flag or the other flag, depending on which side. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> and then the last round is uh best of fifteen haikus. Do you are you supposed to come up with them on the spot or do no, you, you, you come you with pre written and you don't have to have like them memorized or anything. It's just a matter of like that's it. Uh and so I wanna 
organize a haiku deathmatch in Baltimore and also have it be a chili cook-off. Oh. Because those are two things I love. I love... <laughs> I love watching haiku deathmatches. They're hilarious. Because you hear, like, a lot of, like, really funny poems and then you'll hear, like, some really serious ones. And you'll hear bad ones. You'll hear bad poetry everywhere. Yeah. But... It's all, like, pretty fun. Uh, and then eat some chili. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. And, like, maybe have, like, some kind of prize or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> An extra helping of chili. Yeah. It's <laughs> more cornbread. Um, but, okay. So I have... I have some other questions, but there's one other one that I'm... One particular. One particular one, one that I'm... One itch at the back of your brain. Yeah, that I'm, I'm going to... I will ask every every guest that I have on my podcast from now on. Yeah. Um, if you have the vocabulary for it, what... Describe your internal landscape. Like... Like, whatever... Geographically, or what happened... Like, if I had to describe the inside of my body or my brain, or my... Like the inside of your emotions, like your 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 like internal emotional space. What is or like whatever, whatever it feels like. If you were to close your eyes and think about what exists on like the core of the inside of you, what would that look like? You know those spots in oceans, the blue pits. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, I like where this is going. There's one of those, but there's no like. There's, like, a rim of glass right above the water. Uh-huh. So you're able to, like, press your face against it and mm-hmm. get some air, but you're not able to escape. Oh, and, okay. Uh, you are under the glass. Okay. I am under the glass. And are, is there... Is There's... there other stuff besides just the pit, or is that just, like, it's just the blue pit and then glass? Unconfirmed. Okay. There is no way of knowing if there is or isn't anything else in the water. There's the possibility. Mm-hmm. And there's the apprehension and the fear, the suspicion. So do you when do you feel like you are a person in this environment, or do you feel like you are the environment, or does it switch back and forth? Sometimes both. Sometimes just an observer. Sometimes under, sometimes the water, sometimes the glass. Okay. I would say. But I feel like that's an accurate description of who I am in a landscape. It's very vivid. It's, God, this is, I'm so glad that I started asking people this question because it's been so, so awesome to get, just to hear what people say. Yeah. And just the very the um, the myriad landscapes that are out there for people. Someone's gonna say hi to you. Because I feel like so part part of the the podcast and the reason that I don't keep super tight reins on the directions of stuff, um, which I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not. Probably not to you, but I don't know. Just no. in, in the general, is that um, like I feel like these questions are 
interesting and um, you know, like I would love to ask everybody all of the questions that I have on my thing, but I feel like there are times that the things that people choose to talk about and the ways that they choose to talk about them can reveal as much, if not more, about the ways that they think about stuff, which is for me really kind of the yeah, yeah. what I these mean, questions are questions about. Questions lead to questions. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to let people just kind of just go and talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm sometimes you gotta rein it. Yeah. Because yeah. um, this is ostensibly a podcast about poetry. Um, yeah. But I'm the landscape thing for me. I feel like does more so than I think any other question or any, anything that somebody would talk about for me at least reveals like them um huh not now thanks you covered for me this uh, is yours oh it's fine yeah. I thought you were just, like offering me a sip no <laughs> uh, thank you no problem um but like that that shows kind of what they're about or at least the ways that they think about themselves and kind of the the genesis of because for like I don't know if this is the case for you but for me for my landscape it's like that's such an integral part of who I am that I like I couldn't I am the way that I am because of my the way that my landscape like what that looks like um I would say I understand what you're saying um I would say I'm probably not always my landscape like okay like it tells something mm-hmm. like or that that's where I'm at now yeah uh, but like there's probably a time where I was above the glass and I fell in mm-hmm. or where I was swimming and the glass was placed atop or which is a concept that I think is important just like everything else it's like these things are subject to change um i think i think for me like this is the closest that i i've understood it's like this is just kind of for me that's this is like a manifestation of all these other kind of core things is just kind of like this is the way that it visually and emotionally manifests itself yeah. for me um which again is possibly subject to change um although it feels like it at least for me it feels like it's a pretty solid like this is this is what it's like on the on the inside and there's like variants of because for me it's like a big prairie landscape yeah um and it's like the weather changes and the time of day changes so there's stuff like flux within that but like then just kind of the the context of that yeah it's like it's always it's always prairie sometimes i'm at the house that's on there sometimes the little like fire pit that's out there but it's always somewhere in this vastness yeah um big sky country I really want to visit, like, South Dakota just to get that sense of... Like, I got a little bit of it when I was in Nebraska. Like, the flatness and the openness, but I really want to get out to, like, prairie country or, like, the Badlands and just be there and see if if it actually lines up with what I feel on the inside. Yeah. Just wish that someone... Those states weren't red. (laughs) Yeah. You could, uh... Do, uh... Do a little... Like national park road trip, it's legal to camp on ever, any national park, so just go pop 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 yeah. pop pop pop. I just need need money for that. <laughs> need that dash. Need those ducats. Yep. Um, no, yeah, that's real. Um, 
I feel like for myself, uh, mine will just change based upon what's happening externally or like mm-hmm. the month will change it. Certain months hold different baggage. Yeah. Uh, say March is generally uh, more cavernous, hmm. but dry. It's cold. Uh, say that November. Uh, November is more of like a park you can't get out of. Hmm. But you're trying to. I that would be a neat series of writings. Like you're just what what each month feels like. Yeah. For you. Hmm. Something to sit on. Yeah. Let that egg hatch. <laughs> um so I guess my last question is anything you want to ask me? Anything. It can be whatever. The world, the dog park is wide open. Um, how's this been for you? How's the project been going? Like, the podcast, do you plan on extrapolating out of it? Do you, uh, What's uh, the trajectory? <laughs> What's uh, your business plan? Um, the trajectory is unplotted as of right now. Um, I have been focusing a, a lot on friends of mine, like writer friends and other artist friends of mine that are in Baltimore, but I'm in the process of expanding it out to people that I either kind of know or don't know at all. Um, I went to a uh, haiku workshop thing last Saturday, Um, and the woman who was hosting it, Alexis Rotella, um, I tried to get in touch with her before the event, or before the the workshop, but apparently Facebook hides certain messages from people. Um, So she never got my message, but I talked to her at the the thing, and um, she told me to email her about it. So, like, I've been... Um, I went to Haiku, Haiku North America in uh, October last year. Yeah. Um, thinking that I could get some, like, good, like, sit down with some people and talk about Haiku. Because I'm surrounded by nothing but Haiku poets. Yeah. And the way that things timed out, I just, I didn't, I couldn't. Um, so I've been really jonesing to do a Haiku-specific episode of yeah. So Poetry. So I'm hoping that I can get in touch with her and maybe for the second episode of Mar- of April have that with her yeah um i have some poet friends that are not local that i would love to skype interview with yeah um i don't know i don't i'm just kind of right now having fun with it i don't really have a trajectory or it's good um i think that's a good plan kind of like it's kind of like my press it's like i'm doing it for fun i'm working with people and sitting down and talking with people that i've wanted to talk with and yeah. ask certain questions to picking um, the brain I mean it might turn into something I've like after listening to NPR as often as I have been I've been kind of like maybe I kind of want to get into radio a little bit because um, I know that there are you know like they have podcast teams and stuff and yeah um, 
I mean, I know criminally little about audio editing and yeah. things, but... Kind of learn as you go. Yeah, it's like I can talk to people. I've, I've done interviews before. I've yeah. talked to 11 people so far. Um, Your whole life, only yeah. 11. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Um, Confirmed. Doxed. At least 11. I'm going to say, like, soft... 11, give or take 100. Yeah. Yeah. I would say... Yeah. Sounds, sounds reasonable. Um, but, yeah, I don't... I'm just... I'm just doing it. Just... Yeah. Because I, I wanted to, and... I mean, everyone's doing a podcast. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to get on that game a little bit. Uh, stick out your market. Yeah. Because, um, like, they're poetry podcasts, but... So? Yeah. I feel like that's still, like, a small enough niche that there's enough space for... Yeah, yeah. And also, like, I don't know, if you're lending another voice, I feel like that's not... It's not like you're going to try to buy them out or anything or, right, like, yeah. stop them from doing their thing. Right, yeah. And I don't, like, I don't... I've, I have a lot of them on my iTunes right now that I've yet to listen to. Um, but... I don't know. I like uh, kind of like the the minimalist sort of gorilla aspect of this. It's like I don't do any editing. I just sit down and like talk with people for apparently close to two hours. Yeah. Um. Just because uh. it's fun, and I'm like for me, I'm I want this to be as close as a conversation as possible. Just because I I have, feel like I have conversations like this with people all the time, and it's just. I think other people would find it interesting, so so yeah. I just stick a microphone between me and the other person and just hit record. Yeah, see what happens. Cool. Uh, one other question. Yeah. Which is more of like a devious one. Go for because it. Because I'm kind of throwing shade at someone <laughs> peripherally, I guess, tertiarily. I don't know. Word. Uh, haiku or haikus? I say haiku. I, as a plural, I, I don't use the S. Um, I know a lot. How do you feel about people who say haikus? Um, it it wrinkles me a little bit, but um, I don't know. I feel like it's it's become it's like people who don't use the Oxford comma. It's become such a such a widespread thing that it's like. Eh. And I also feel like if you do call you it, feel like it's. Like colonizing. Um. I don't know. I've never. I have not thought about it in that terms. Although I think that you could probably. So for me, it it belies a level of like a just kind of a casual relationship with haiku. Um. Which. Like, I have kind of a casual relationship with sonnets and bellinelles, so I don't, yeah. you know... Like, they are Western forms, so it's a little bit different yeah. as, as, like, an appropriation sort of a thing. Um, but it's been my experience that most people that, are, that seriously study and write the form refer to the plural of it as haiku. Just as, like, because it's, like, it's a Japanese thing. It's, like, Japanese words typically don't um, distinguish between singular and plural. It's, yeah. it's one word that means... The word. Like all of it. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, I don't know, it's like, in that respect, it's it would be 
could possibly be seen as people who are strictly holding to the 575 principle. It's like it's just because it's done in, it's done that way in, in Japanese that that's the way they refer to it in English. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's were you were you throwing shade at Kerouac? Uh, no, I mean like generally I always would if I could. Uh, but no, I was throwing shade at uh, just. Into the ethos, gotcha. we'll say. Okay. I'll uh, leave it at that. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. I, I view it as kind of the same way as I view um, people who refer, who use um, like he pronouns for me. It's like it's not something that I'm I'm super like I have a, I have a whole lot of stake in because um, at least if people are talking about haikus, they're at least like talking about it. You know, it's like there's there's some level of like interest unless they're using it as a kind of dismissive phrase um i don't know it's it's kind of it's a lot of times it'll be kind of one of those moments of like a like a bless your heart yeah thing um but i also don't like if it's if it's somebody who's coming from a place of just getting into it um using uh, like somebody who just started learning about haiku um, I don't want to come out as like a dismissive dick and be like, uh, oh, you like know. Like a gatekeeper. Yeah. Because no. um, I feel like, you know, probably eventually they'll they'll drop it or, you know, if not. All right. Cool. Do you mind if I ask what your feelings are? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I dislike when people say haikus because I feel like. Again, like they probably, they don't have, they might not have the knowledge. They might not have done the research. I feel like it's people who took what they learned from studying poetry in high school mm-hmm. and decided, like, well, I want to be a writer, but it's hard, so I'm gonna write haikus because it's easy. Because it's easy. Ostensibly. Uh, yeah, it's easy like... because if I, as long as I do this particular thing, mm-hmm. it's correct. Yeah, and no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like people who would who would refer to them as haikus would be apt to write stuff like um, writing a haiku in three lines is hard refrigerator, or like writing yeah, yeah. like poetry doesn't make any sense refrigerator. So yeah, or like yeah. you know haiku about getting out of bed. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, which There's is. A... Like they're not, they're not haiku. There's a, um, I was actually there's a book that I have that I don't remember the name of it, but there's a word for short, funny kind of aphorism, aphorism-ish poems. But a lot of things that are considered to be like haiku are actually in, yeah, like that camp. Yeah. Which again are not like they yeah. can be funny poems. They can be enjoyable. You know, yeah. you're not. There's no penalty of writing stuff like this. It's just traditionally yeah. it's not going to be seen as a haiku because you're not hitting any of like the the hallmarks of what make a haiku, a haiku. Yeah. there's a like I mean two things one people can write like funny haiku that like are quote unquote refrigerator haiku uh, I saw at one haiku death match somebody did a poem about uh, Klingons and it was like very much just like kind of kind of kitschy kind of yeah. kind of cute and then the next poem they did in their round was the same poem, but in Klingon. And, oh. like, both of them 
were like part of a haiku deathmatch as they are very strict about the 575 thing. Mm. Uh, but they both worked within that, mm -hmm. and I was like, that's funny and smart. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's like yeah. using using what you know and your talents to create something in an interesting way. Yeah. And is clearly thought out. Yeah. That's uh, great. Second thing, uh, in regards to all of this, mm -hmm. there's a quote, uh, name's escaping me right now, but it's essentially uh, a writer saying... It's easy to write a good formed poem. Like, you just stay in the form. It's hard to write a good free verse poem. Because it's easy to write a free verse poem, but not all free verse poems are good. Yeah. Whereas a form poem, you can write the form, and you can do that. And mm -hmm. You can follow the rules, and it will be a... Good form poem, it, not Like, you can write a good sonnet. Yeah. As long as you do the sonnet thing. Right. It might not be a good poem. Right. But it'll, it's a damn good sonnet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, in the same sense of haiku haikus, mm -hmm. I feel like the separation of, like, not that people who say haikus can't write a good haiku. Right. But. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's my thought. Yeah. That's my thought on that. Um, cool. Swell. Yeah, you wanna um, you wanna leave us out? How would you like me to lead you out? I've been trying to come up with a good like uh, good sign off, and I've not been able to come up with one. So I would leave it up to to my guests. I've started to leave it up to my guests to just figure out a like a way to get us <laughs> out of the interview. Throw them into water. All right. Well, <laughs> um, if you have listened up until this point, congratulations, you made it. Uh, Check out, um, you should check out any local stuff in your area. Uh, if you're from Baltimore, you should go to any and all poetry readings, but don't rely just on city paper because they generally don't advertise any of them. Uh, it's Third Eye Thursdays. It's first and third Thursdays. Uh, there is Speak Out Slamageddon every second Sunday. This Sunday, the 17th, is finals. Um, there is Be Free Fridays, Bolton Hill Open Mic Series, Power Fridays. All on, they're all on Fridays. Uh, and Heard Through the Grapevine, another event happens um mother tongue poetry series um pretty much support locally um yeah as far as like stuff's out there you just gotta yeah just gotta find it as far as national stuff like if you ever want to see some amazing poetry and you're too lazy to leave your house, or you can't for whichever reason, because there are also people who can't do that. And I'm not going to be ableist, uh, <laughs> if possible. But I probably will be, because I am an able-bodied person. Uh, but uh, Write About Now is a good poetry series. Write as in writing. Um, they're based out of Texas, and they're putting up some great work. Slam Find is a good series as well. 
they put up a lot of good work, mostly out of like New York, New Jersey area. Um, a lot of they tend to get a little bit more youth than non-youth. Um, and there's also button poetry, but I feel like that's not something that needs to be said anymore because they're trying to monopolize things. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you ever go to a show and it's free, give money to the touring artist. Uh, if you don't, why? Um, it didn't cost you anything to go there. Yeah. Um, if you think $5 is a lot of money to give to a touring artist, uh, think about how much money it costs to eat food. Bring or, a sandwich or something. I mean, like, you know, you don't know what to eat. Oh, yeah, that's true. Allergies. Uh, and generally, like, most touring artists, like, food is appreciated, but... Money like, is the thing that they would actually need. Because sometimes you could have the food. Yeah. Like, you could be, like, I travel with, like, a jar of peanut butter. Scoop that with my hands. It's protein. Um, but, like, gas money. Yeah. Or, like, something goes wrong and you miss a bus and you buy another bus ticket. And, yeah. like, having money isn't... <laughs> I'm talking about that green. <laughs> I need that cheddar. Uh, anyways. Yeah. I don't know. Don't be an asshole. Go outside, yell at the moon, pet a dog. While uh, yelling at the moon. Yeah, you could do both. Por que no los dos. Uh, learn another language. Look up your horoscope. Uh, listen to old, old outcasts. Uh, <laughs> go to a farmer's market. And yell at the moon. Eat some. With a dog. Well, listening to old, old Eat some garbanzo beans, but like fry that shit with paprika. Uh, read Faust. I'm out. Alright. And that is a wrap on episode 11. Thank y'all so much for listening. Um, I will do my absolute best. I mean, I guess I could just listen to this again to, to get all of the things that Alan said. Um, the good readings, Baltimore specific and kind of national stuff. Um, yeah. Have, enjoy the day, and I will talk to you all later. Bye.